What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the campfire, the only place where friends and strangers alike sit down and tell tales in truth or fiction in exchange of my blessing of their safe travels. Allow me to relight the fire while you relax and listen. Make your mind wander about the reality we live in. This story I'm about to tell you tonight is called My Grandfather Spoke Dozens of Languages. His final words were a warning in a language no one's heard of. Part 4 from user Max Voynich. Sit back, relax, and fall asleep as you listen to our tales. I'd made an agreement. What the deal was wasn't clear, but it had cost them more than they'd thought possible. It had cost them friends, lovers, and in the end, each other. And the thing that slept below the hills, that dreamt so loud it made ripples on the surface, wanted one thing, blood. Their journals were not clear on when the deal was made but they'd been giving the thing below the hills what it wanted for years. Until it had grown to be too much. It had wanted one last gift. One last gift and it promised it would finally leave them be. It was to be my grandfather. They were to go up to the caves at the top of Blackrock Hills and make their way to the center, where Artie would slit his throat and lay him finally to rest. The decision had taken them days. They both wrote extensively about wanting it to be them so that the other could live a full life, about how they had to stop it somehow, and how this was the only way. But something happened when they were meant to make the decision. Whatever mistake my grandfather made meant he never returned to the well. And so his journals were left uncompleted. But it was clear it was meant to be my grandfather. Whether he deliberately pushed Artie down the well, or whether there was a change of heart on Artie's behalf, we didn't know. What we did know was that the well was directly above a stream that ran through the heart of the hills, deep underground. A stream that worked its way through a cave system so intricate it was like a mess of capillaries and veins. When Amy read the last of the journals, and we both realized what had passed between the two of them, she spoke bitterly. I knew it. Knew what? Out of Voynich, that your family put themselves first. I grew defensive. We don't know that. All we know is that it was meant to be my grandfather, not what happened after. Are you stupid? What? At least I know about my family. We might lie or cheat or steal, but we do it for each other, the people we love. I know that. But you, you have no idea about any of it. I could see her building up to something as if some storm was growing inside her. Well, now whatever it is, is threatening my family. The people I love. Whatever it is down there, whatever it wants, I'm going to find out. And with that, she stood up, scattering the loose pages of the journals around her feet, and left. I was in shock for a moment, thinking about why this had happened. I imagined the way her mother must have talked about Artie, her mother's grief she must only be able to see glimpses of as if through a keyhole, her whole childhood, whole life, knowing that it had to do with Artie's friend but never knowing what, and now finding out that it was because of a coward and a liar and seeing the coward's flesh and blood defend his actions when he knew nothing of what those actions actually meant. I wanted to apologize. I ran after Amy, but she was already gone and had left footprints in the wet earth leading up the hills. I followed, trying to run, but each step made my feet sink deeper and deeper into the mud. I could feel the muscles in my legs begin to tire, 
And just when I thought I'd have to stop and I'd lose her, I saw the opening to a cave. The cave. I didn't hesitate and went straight in, shouting her name, crouching to fit through the tighter squeezes. I was going too fast, though, and before long I realized that I'd taken a couple of turns on instinct. That I had no idea where I was. Not only that, but I'd lost Amy. Somewhere along the way, with all these twists and turns, I'd lost her. When I tried to turn back, it was clear that I was lost. Completely and utterly lost. There was a light that seemed to come from within the reflection on the rocks, as if in that mirror world everything was illuminated by some ghostly glow. In turn, the glow from the reflection cast a dim light over the tunnels I was in. The rock was wet to the touch, and as I progressed further and further in the cave began to shrink, like the tapering of a throat, and I found myself bending more and more to fit through gaps. I couldn't go back. I tried calling for Amy, but my voice echoed hopelessly until it faded out, mocking me. There was another sound in between the echoes, something like a scrambling and a panting far away. I had an image of the stag following our scent, some drowned thing soaked to the core and rotting, stalking me. I could see it now, all sinew and soil, relentless, hungry. I tried to push it from my mind. I kept on. Whenever I'd press myself against a rock to squeeze past or have to crouch under a low-hanging ceiling, I'd see a reflection just for a second only millimeters away, except it wouldn't be my face, but the face of someone else, distorted, pale, gaunt. My grandfather, my father, Artie, Dot, and then faces I didn't recognize. A boy who had my face but Amy's nose. A woman with a scar that split her face in two. And each time I grew closer to the rock, faces would leer at me, examine me with their dead eyes. Once or twice I was sure I saw Amy, but I couldn't have. Just when I thought that I must have found myself in some huge loop, that I would be stuck underground for the rest of my life, endlessly stalking these caves, seeing the faces of everyone I'd ever known staring back at me, I stumbled out and onto the shore. In front of me there lay a vast and black ocean, shored by a gray slate that burst from the earth at severe angles. As with the cave, I couldn't tell where the light was coming from, only that I could see well enough to make out a small boat onshore. And in that boat, Artie and Amy. I made my way down the slate, cautiously, testing each step with my weight before committing. They hadn't seen me yet, and whilst I was sure they weren't watching, I bent down and picked up a long, hard piece of stone. I thought if needed, if Amy had somehow been turned like Artie, I could at least try and use this to fend them off. It was a dark thought, and I'm not proud of it, but the feeling of the stone in my hand at least gave me some sort of comfort. But even when they saw me, they did not react, and instead seemed entirely focused on their own, private conversation. In between the sound of the waves, in that lull when one crested and smashed into the shore and another began to swell behind it, I could hear something in the distance, something like voices, screaming and bellowing over each other so that it became one awful sound. But it was only present for a moment at a time, and each time I'd try to tune into it a wave would crash, and I'd lose it. When I grew close enough to see their faces, I slipped the stone into my pocket, just in case. I finally reached the boat at the end of a stone pier. It was a small, black craft that bobbed aimlessly in the water. Artie sat at the front, holding an oar in each hand. He looked at me. You look just like your grandfather. I watched a private smile play over his face and couldn't help but see Amy in the expression. Well, what are you waiting for? Get in. His voice was deep and rasping, the consequence of years of drink and smoking no doubt, but there was no malice there. If anything, it was the same tone parents use with their children, caring, impatient. I looked at Amy. 
She nodded, and so I got into the craft, sitting on the only other bench so that I was pressed against Amy, and facing Artie. I could see his face properly now, all the crags and trenches of old age, the yellowing of his cornea, the way his teeth were stained a light brown. He cracked a grin, and it seemed like every single one of his teeth was at its own angle. And, hunching over and yanking his shoulders back in one motion, he began to row us out to sea. As we rowed further and further out, the shouting got louder, and, in the distance, I could just make out what seemed to be a huge, dark pillar. Dark and crooked. The boat seemed just about to capsize at any moment, but each time I thought a huge black wave would sweep us all off the deck, the boat would bob just above it, and we'd keep moving forward. My hands grew clammy. I didn't want to think of what lay below us, what things lived and died in the depths of this underground sea. Sometimes, away away, the surface would break as if something was coming up for air. As we grew closer to the crooked thing it came into focus, a tower. I could make out tiny figures running to and fro, and realized that the crooked tower was ringed by dozens of wooden construction platforms, which went in a spiral all the way to the top, like the slide on a helter-skelter. The thing was staggeringly huge, but I had no frame of reference to compare it to, only that it emerged from the water and rose up as far as I could see. Artie spoke up. Babel. I raised an eyebrow. Sorry. We were growing closer now, and I could see that in fact, the figures were running up and down the structure, grabbing pieces of rotten, black wood from the base, and sprinting their way to the top, somewhere so high I could barely make it out. The Tower of Babel, Artie said. This sea keeps rising, and they keep building. If not, and as if on cue, a short woman at the bottom bent to grab a piece of the platform that had just been submerged, and something grabbed her wrist. She struggled for a second or two, screaming in some incomprehensible tongue before she was pulled headfirst under the waves. The builders around her didn't even look and kept shouting in their own, private languages, hauling wood from just above the water to the very top. Amy gave a start, spoke up, and the boat rocked. Why don't we help them? Offer some a chance to get off, to come with us. I didn't even know where we were going, let alone trust any of them enough to offer them a space in this already cramped boat. Artie shook his head. They couldn't understand you even if we tried. They're cursed to never understand each other, no matter how hard they try, to perpetually build up and up and up to escape the rising water, surrounded by people, but alone. Alone, and scared, and trying to comprehend all he gestured up, to the tower, to the dark above it this. There was another scream, and all I could see was the wake of another builder pulled into the water. A small pool of white froth, then nothing. Some say we once all spoke the same language, and using the true language we tried to build a tower to God. They say this is his punishment. Amy looked to him, and the way she hung on his words was like she was making up for all their lost time. She was a child again, at his feet by the fire, in awe at his age and grace. I'm not sure I believe that entirely, but they've got to have done something to end up here, I suppose. Is that where we're going? Artie laughed. A black, harsh sound. Not for you, boy. Maybe at the end of it all, you'll find yourself washed up on the tower, but for now, you're needed somewhere else. We adjusted our course slightly and began to move past the tower. The screams and bellows began to fade. I turned to watch it disappear, the thousands of people desperately trying to build it, the way it curved and bent under its own weight, the platforms like a wet skeleton, the way it let out a thunderous creak every now, and again as if its very core was splintering. Our families made a pact with forces down here. Many did. Maybe it was after the original tower fell. Maybe it was much later. 
All I know is that whatever's down here needs things from us. Offers gifts in return. His eyes glazed over for a second. Regret. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A memory. It's easy to get carried away. A scream near the top. Someone carrying a huge plank staggered. The others couldn't wait. Barged past. And they fell into the sea below. Into the jaws of something waiting. Something so large that when it moved it pulled the surface of the water after it. And for a second there was a huge, aqueous crater. For a second, I thought I could see a familiar stoop, just above eye level. Even though we were far away, I was convinced that for a second I'd seen Dot. But he was swallowed by the crowd before I could be sure. Was that Dot? Artie looked unfazed. The man wasn't a saint, Max. I don't know, is the truth. Could be. I tried to see Dot again, but there was nothing. I'm sure that was. I mean, it looked like. Artie looked past me. I'm sorry it had to be like this, Max. I could tell that he meant it. I'm sorry about Dot drowning. He was a friend to your father, I know. It wasn't my choice to do what we did to him. It had to have you here, you see. You have to do this. Do what? You'll see. And Amy, you know what's to come, and you think you're right. She paused for a moment, bit her lip, nodded. All right, all right. There's no dissuading you, I suppose. She shook her head. You know your ancestors tried to plot this place once, Max. A long, long time ago. Wrote it all down, but once the manuscript reached the surface, it turned to nonsense. Gibberish. He paused, thinking but still rowing. His body had a steady rhythm. Nothing down here makes much sense on the surface. Try explaining that. He pointed to the Tower of Babel, to that endless, crooked tower. To anyone on the surface. There are very few who could understand it. I thought on this for a while, and as the tower faded from view I could just start to make out a distant shore. Amy must have seen it too because she went a little pale, and I felt her body stiffen against mine. She was afraid. Whatever happened between me and your grandfather, you know it's forgiven. He was saying this as much to me as to Amy. In the scheme of things we were so young. We were drunk and arrogant, and both of us couldn't bear the thought of a world without the other. We were meant to come down here, together, to meet the thing beneath the hills and face it. But we argued, he wanted it to be him, I wanted it to be me. We were growing closer to the shore now, and I could tell Amy was nervous next to me. She was chewing her lip, running her hands through that bird nest of hair, making silent words with her lips. Whatever happened, happened. That was our turn. Now it's yours. And we disembarked from the small boat, onto this new shore, and said our goodbyes to Artie. Something had passed between him and Amy, I'm sure of it. All this time, and I'd have thought they'd have more to say to each other, but they communicated in small looks and tilts of the head. He furrowed his brow, raised his eyebrows, and she nodded. She was sure. He studied me for a long time, rubbing his jaw. I felt for a moment something piercing behind those eyes, something vicious, and with the raw intelligence of a trapped animal. I felt him look past me, through me, into me. I did not know if he was seeing my grandfather or me, whatever it was. He didn't entirely trust me. 
Not yet. This all had the texture of a dream, and for a second I thought maybe it was. Some fever dream I'd wake up from in a week. But a cold salt wind rolled off the water and buffeted me, and I knew this was all real. Happening. Even though I'll dream of this, of this underground sea, and the crooked tower, and the great beasts, and Artie, for the rest of my life, I know it was real. It had to be. Slowly, wordlessly, Artie began to paddle back out into that vast sea, lifting his cap to us as he left. Amy squeezed my hand, so tight I thought a knuckle might pop and then let go. My hand twitched slightly, tried to find hers again for just a second, but it had gone. She looked at me intensely, the same way her grandfather just had, before walking ahead. Keep up. I jogged to keep up with her fast pace, and I found myself slightly out of breath as we reached the top of the spit of rock. The tower was inaudible now, and all I could hear was the crash of the waves, and my breath. As we climbed up, we drew closer and closer to what seemed to be two doorways hewn into the stone. There was no door, only a faint, flickering light that indicated there was something inside each of them. When we reached the two doorways, Amy gave my hand one last squeeze, looked at me as if she was memorizing every last detail of my face. There was something else there, though. Was she scared? She turned away and entered her own doorway. Still, to this day, I do not know what Amy saw in there. I don't think I ever will, all I know is that when I entered later, to do what I had to do, her cheeks would be wet with tears, and there would be blood on the stone. I entered my doorway and found myself in a round, black chamber. A chamber made from something like obsidian, jagged and reflective and slick and somehow alive. The thing that dreams under the hills reached into me. It reached into me, crawled up my spine and into my brain and spat black images onto my eyelids. I staggered under the weight of it, finding myself on my knees, head spinning, mouth dry and tasting like tar. I could see, on every wall in front of me, on every surface, hundreds of images, my father, my grandfather, his father and his father before him, and people I somehow knew were my sons, and daughters, and their sons and daughters, until I could see my family stretching out for hundreds and hundreds of years either side of me, and I could see them all sin. I could see them all maim and lie and cheat and steal and beg and fight and hurt and wail. And I could see it all as if it was happening this very second, and I could feel it, immediate as if it had always been there. Images flickered on every available surface, on my eyelids, the walls, the palms of my hands, scenes I could recognize. My grandfather pushed Artie down the well as they argued, pushing his chest and shouting over and over it should be me. My grandfather a week later beating some poor man senseless because he looked like his old friend, and he couldn't bear to see his face. The grief that began to live in the silence and the whistle of the kettle. Scenes I couldn't. Someone who looked just like me, but far, far in the past, robbing a man in a back street, cutting first his purse and then his stomach, and then his throat when he can see that he recognizes him, leaving him to bleed out amongst the stench of shit and dirty water. And I knew then that endlessly either side of me was suffering, and I could see my children who I did not know yet but already loved, suffering, and the thing that dreamt below the hills offered me a way out. It was simple. All it needed was blood. It was the way it had always been. My grandfather had been greedy, wanted too much. The thing had only asked for something in return and had been denied it. I could see Amy in her chamber, semi-comatose like me, the weight of generations bearing down on her. I could feel the piece of stone in my pocket, long and hard, and the thing showed me the image of Amy's head, wet with blood, and how it was only that simple. It showed me Amy dead. It had made it clear to me. It only wanted one thing, 
One thing and I could leave this place shedding memories like snakeskin, free of the weight of all of this. One thing and I could put this all to rest. One movement, precise and painless, and all of this grief, all of this horror could just fade away. Thoughts played in my mind, memories played across the obsidian surfaces like images projected on a screen. Maybe the reason nothing makes sense down here is that it shouldn't. Maybe it's not only my right to kill her but my duty. I tested the weight of the stone in my hand. I imagined how easy it would be, how small and fragile her skull must be beneath her skin. I thought of the vision I'd had, the back of her head slick with blood. But my mind kept going, kept working, threw up more images. I saw her hunched in the rain outside my house. I saw the way she confessed she knew Gutter as if she'd revealed something ugly and real inside her. I saw her limp, the way she saw her grandfather, the way she saw me. And I knew then that the thing under the hills lied. It had lied to my grandfather and to his father and to me. It did not offer any solution to this. It didn't have any because there was none. And whilst it would never leave our families alone, whilst it would always dwell here, dream here, it would not make me a murderer. It would always find a way to offer a choice. That's how it has always been and how it will always be. I just had to make the right one. Slowly, I forced my way to my feet, turned away from the images playing across every surface. I left my chamber and walked to Amy's. Every step sent fresh memories, fresh regrets, fresh wounds racing through me. I gritted my teeth kept going. She was sat in the corner, pale, wide-eyed, watching the entrance. When she saw me, she flinched for a second, but I held my hands up, empty. Her nose was bleeding, and it had dripped from her chin onto the floor. She must have taken a fall when she came in when the weight of the memories of hundreds of years hit her all at once. She was bruised and bleeding, but she was alive. And so together we left the chambers, climbed back down the stone shore and walked until we found an empty boat. And we rode together back across that vast sea, and passed the tower, and went back through those wet tunnels. And I followed her the whole way, and as we got closer and closer to the surface we began to see light. Real light. I know now the thing under the hills can't be sated. It will always be there. And it will be there for my children, and my children's children, and their children in turn and it will offer them a choice the way it always has, and it will promise pleasure, riches, or love. And they will have to reckon with it the same way I did, will have to reckon with the mistakes of their forefathers, with the knowledge that our spirits will not rest, with the knowledge of all the grief and suffering that has passed and that is to come, and with the crooked tower and that vast underground sea. But I hope when the thing beneath the hills shows them my mistakes, and my fathers, and my grandfathers, they will at least know one thing, no matter what they choose. They are not alone. They never have been. We made our way out of the cave mouth and collapsed into the light. We spent the next few days in the houses by the well. We slept, ate, chopped wood to make fire, organized our grandfather's journals, hunted rabbits, made stew. The forest was quiet at rest. I brought it up one morning as we gathered water from a nearby brook. You and Artie in the boat. He asked you if you were sure. Sure of what? Amy looked pained as if she didn't want to say what was next. It's nothing. It was nothing. Amy, she rolled her eyes, fine then. When I got to the boat, he told me about the choice you had to make. The choice you had to make to atone for your grandfather. You knew. I thought of how I'd felt the weight of the stone in my hand. I knew what it would ask you. And you knew what I'd do, right? She shook her head. I had a hunch. The brook chattered away happily to itself. She spoke again. I trusted you, I guess. 
And as we made our way back, content and in comfortable silence, through the trees in the muted morning light, I noticed that the soil was no longer waterlogged. The storm had passed, and the earth beneath our feet was dry. Now, that was the end of my tale. I hope you enjoyed yourself, listening while escaping the world you live in. That is all for today. Safe travels, and a blessed day. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.